Welcome to the Almost Famous podcast, the show where we get the opportunity to talk to professionals at the top of their field in the music industry, discussing their journeys and experiences. Today, I'll be talking to Suzanne Bull, MBE, about how she fell into the music industry and how being denied music events during lockdown proved how important music was to her whilst experiencing her own unique COVID story. She provides insight about the barriers disabled performers face that you might not have previously seen and gives her statement on the controversies that have surrounded accessibility at Wireless Festival. I absolutely loved talking to her and I found this conversation really informative. Here's my episode with Suzanne Bull. You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Suzanne Bull, MBE, is the founder of Attitude Is Everything, the charitable organization that connects deaf and disabled people together to improve access to the music industry and the live events industry. With over 25 years of experience in the music and arts industry, she has transformed the lives of disabled people everywhere and is a multi-award winning, uh, well, multi-award winning, what would you call yourself, Suzanne? Ac- uh, entrepreneur charitable person <laughs> don't know a chancer i'd say because <laughs> it's like everything sort of fell into my lap i want to say it's 22 years just in case everyone says oh, it's not that long but it's 22 uh, 20, 22 <laughs> almost, years yeah it's 22 <laughs> not not quite 25 not quite no. 25 i don't want to wish lives- my life away <laughs> That's okay. She lives with a disability herself, and in 2013, she received an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours list for her service to music, the arts, and disabled people. Suzanne, I am so happy to have you here on Almost Famous today. I know it's one of the hottest days of the year. We just finished doing another podcast recording as well. So, if at any point you need to just run somewhere and fall cold water on yourself, you uh, you feel free to. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, it is. Um, wow, what a, what a time! <laughs> it's not great, really, because of global warming. It's it's not great, but it, obviously, I'm in the middle of London, and um, the uh, heat mixes with the pollution, and it's really not great at all. But what can you do uh, at the moment? <laughs> I know, I know. I'll take you out of London a second. Then this is a question I like to start. Well, I want I want to ask at the start of the podcast every time. So. I'm going to welcome you backstage a second because we like to ask everyone, what is on your gig rider? What would you like on there? What would you put on there? Well, I'm a lady of a certain age now. So I want decaffeinated tea or hot chocolate, shortbread biscuits and uh, passes for a, a small select group of friends. Oh, <laughs> I hope I'm on the list. Shortbread biscuits. Love it. So I want you to tell me about your story then and and how you got into the music industry. And with that, the existence of Attitude is everything. Tell me how that came about. Okay, so I would say probably like quite a lot of people, but maybe more so in the 90s when I started my career, I kind of fell into it. 
um, by way of, I went to Goldsmiths College and I studied languages, but I was also at college with a lot of musicians. So Brian Mulcahy from Placebo, Jamie Hintz from The Kills, Blur were there. Actually, the artist Damon Hurst was there as well. And I think all that scene of, of squat parties and gigs and all of that, I just really got into as since I was 13 I was traveling up from Essex to London to go to gigs anyway and I always had said I wanted to go to a London university but obviously like Goldsmiths is a, is a big place for for music drama and art and and from that I started volunteering on events and I got my one of my first event positions as a volunteer at the Deptford Urban Free Festival. But as I was doing all of that, I was becoming more politicised around being a disabled person. And I married like my passion for music, but also realising when I was going to gigs and having some accidents at gigs because there wasn't any access, any access provided, that I could marry those two things together. And, and so what I did was I started working for a disability arts organisation called Shake and I had a part-time like admin job there but what I was doing was booking tickets for disabled people at uh, venues and galleries so I learned about access about what people need and what, what they need from a venue or a site or anything through that and then I started writing articles about how the access could be much better at, uh, at at live music events and festivals and stuff and at venues and an arts council officer happened to read an article I think he, he read the one in time out maybe and he, he got my phone number from someone and phoned me up and said would you like to do a pilot program project and explore some ideas around this and and I said oh. yeah like you're probably going to have to give me a lot of support because I've never actually done anything like setting up a program before so they set up a steering group and and basically attitude is everything that's born with the charter of best practice which we now call the um the, the live events access charter and all we had 10 venues on that and then we had a group of people that were disabled offering their time to check venues and give us feedback and that was a pilot program that was meant to last for one year but it was so popular that it became its own independent charity in 2008. And as I say, 22 years later, we're still here. And we've expanded out to kind of music in its broadest terms, in terms of music and trade organisations and people who want to work at labels, etc. cetera. Um, and also live events, other live events as well, because the charter like works so well for a number of, of, of venues and sites that other people were, were asking us to expand. So, so that's what we did. And the other thing we were able to do is we built the, the organisation was to widen it out from just providing access for audiences. We, we've had a number of programmes now and still run them where we can, we can you know, make uh, live music and events accessible for performers, for volunteers for employees as well so we've done that step by step like over the years um building on more you know and 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 the arts council england and and many other funders like uh paul hamlin foundation 
and Esme Fairburn Foundation and and the lottery have been very very generous to us over over time as well as some of our more corporate donors as well so it's been it's it's been hard work but it's it's been very rewarding and I don't think I could have done anything different in, in my life really. It's not really a job, it's it's more it's more like a vocation. You know, it's more like um a way of life really. So yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably end up thanking you a lot throughout this podcast. So sorry if I just keep on saying like thank you. Um it's probably because I can't thank you enough for the things that you've <laughs> you, you've achieved. Um it's it's interesting because the impact of on the lives of people with disabilities uh, how does the organization help these people then can you just give me a bit of a scenario um if someone would come to you or do you hear someone's story what is what's what's the usual there is no usual route i don't think so in the beginning we were going to venues saying you you need to do this and the venues were a bit like well we actually want to do something but we don't know how to interpret what was then the disability discrimination act so that's when the charter came about sometimes it's people's stories where they've 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 found out about us and they want to do more and they want to help and they want to volunteer and provide feedback Sadly, sometimes it's because people have had a bad experience, but equally they can have a really good positive experience as well and want to help other people and tell other people about us. Sometimes it's the same with performers. They, they, I know that when we started our programme called The Next Stage for Disabled Artists, when we launched it at um, The Great Escape in 2019, 96% of the disabled artists that we surveyed said that they felt that disabled people needed a voice and representation and they wanted to see more disabled people visibly represented and speaking out so I do think that that's um, quite powerful I think one of the powerful things for me mainly because I came into it through a volunteer route into the music industry as well when we set up our volunteering and employment program um, a couple of people were well actually it wasn't a couple of people it was more more than I imagined I think it was like 74 percent of people said they volunteered because it made them feel better and for the first time in their lives it made them feel useful and it really it really shocked me because I thought what what have they been told throughout their lives not because the our volunteers sometimes aren't our young people they're from mid-20s sometimes onwards and you think what, what what's been around you to make you think like throughout your school or education or the jobs that you might do or the jobs that you don't do what what is that that's for the, for the first time that's made you feel useful and it makes me even more determined and and our team which are are largely a team of lived experience of disability to to push forward and to get people working volunteering performing etc because it's just not it's just not right yeah yeah i i want to i want to take you a little bit back then as well um i'll correct my little opening statement of course 22 years of experience <laughs> in the music industry not 25 there's probably a lot in this so you can just kind of pick out maybe one or two main points here how has the music world changed 
since you started working in it? So I think the main thing that that how it's changed is that they're often they're not waiting anymore to to, uh, to wait to be asked for the access to be put in. Like someone says, can you put this in? Oh, I need to be so temperature. I know anything like that. They are coming to us. Whereas when we first started, we were actively knocking on other people's doors, and now it's it's the other way around. And and also, I have to be honest and say that disabled audiences have really pushed things forward as well because they expect access to be there. And if access is not there, then there there's a, a huge issue that's made. And I think that's absolutely right. So I think it's it's that change of culture and attitude around this. I still think we've got a lot of work to do around um, employees and also a lot of work to do around performers. I also think that there's been a blip since the pandemic as well, because I think that because disabled people were isolated at home, a lot of people got put in the vulnerable kind of category. We seem to have slightly gone back on some of the the progress that we've made. And I think, you know, I think many venues, to be fair, and festivals did take the chance to press the reset button. And when they were getting like their cultural recovery fund and that that kind of stuff, they came to us for training, how can they improve their building, etc. But I think a lot of attitudes regressed. And one of the things that some of our disabled performers said, uh, 43% of them felt that they were, they were worried about performing as venues and stuff reopened because of the impact of COVID and maybe the COVID restriction, the safety measures like lifting, but also because they felt attitudes regressed. But yet, actually, yeah. at the same time, more than half of the performers that we surveyed said they wanted to perform even more than they did before March 2020. Oh, yeah. So there's like an appetite there. and well, I, I want to jump to the COVID stuff in, in a second because um, I've actually got two questions about that as well. But we, we talked about performers. Now, I'd like to know, like, wh- what is it that, what is it the issues that a disabled performer would face then? Forget the pandemic a second. Like, is it the backstage access? Like, we we, we hear that, of course, loading in and loading out at a venue is is, is tough for anyone now if you've got a disability imagine that's that's even harder so what if someone comes to you and said like when, when it comes to me being a performer being a disabled performer what is something that they'd still face today um that is an issue so it's a myriad of issues because obviously disabled people have a range of impairments so it's a real kind of mixture of things so yeah there is that physical access and and what we've done with the MU is create like a musician's union is create an access rider which is part of what the tour manager puts forward saying everything that that disabled performer needs to perform at their best and that's the same as any rider so there's that there's the the more obvious physical things but I think also there's a, a fear of sort of performing when you don't feel well enough to perform but you've got to because the pressure right. of performing of not letting people down letting it letting your 
fellow band members down perhaps or that people have booked a whole tour they won't book you again promoters might drop you managers might drop you so there's the the things around that there's the pressures around mental health which which are absolutely huge um there's also a, a pressure i have to say in some sections of the industry on image and there are still sadly some promoters and managers out there that believe you have to look physically absolutely perfect in order to be on stage in front of people. And I'm telling you now because people produce their own music, they do it in their bedrooms, they do it in their own studios, they do whatever, and they just release their music. But the gatekeepers still need to um, really, really understand that people actually don't care what people look like, but they do care what they sound like, and they're really interested in what people have got to say. And I think that that's, yeah. that's a really, really interesting concept. And I think, you know, for people who have got very, very visible impairments, like, like me, for example, I'm a wheelchair user, that, that's a tough ride because that's where all the physical imperfection stuff may come in. If you can hide your impairment, then some people have been encouraged to, to do that. And, and not speak out but also there's a pressure there to to never reveal it and then you're never revealing like your your whole authentic self and I'm really glad that the next stage has come along and I'm really glad that we've got our powerful artist ambassadors that we share with the featured artist coalition because I, I feel that they actually speak out on a range of whether it's physical access whether it's how how they feel whether it's attitudinal barriers, they've got something to say to the music industry. And I, I think that's really important. Yeah. Does travel become a, a major issue as well then? Yeah. Yeah, travel can. Because, you know, for some people flying um, and, and getting around, getting accessible tour vans, that kind of stuff, can be and train travel also can be difficult but there's also the planning of it as well and having that rest time between travel um can, can be quite difficult and you know imagine that you're you're flying out somewhere and you're doing a, a couple of dates or one date and then you fly you're expected to fly off somewhere else and and maybe there isn't that flexibility to build things in that that you want but you still go ahead and do it because you feel the pressure yeah and that's yeah, where definitely. that's where people the barriers come up and people feel i can't do this anymore and it, and it goes you know it's not just those surface kind of making sure that when the promoters you know book book you or they're booking for you that they are booking the the venues that that are suitable for you as well yeah yeah definitely i um I've I've heard several stories of bands and artists, and um, it, it might be that they can only really play in their own country then, because traveling is 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 a no go, or or long flights are, are a no go, and it's it's just really interesting to kind of yeah to speak to someone like you in this again. I just wanted to thank you because <laughs> uh, it's been it is it is brilliant and it's and it's just massively eye opening. 
Um, yeah, it's something about international is attitudes. Everything does does work internationally, but we're not an international organization. But sometimes we've managed to like like in Norway, for example, we managed to to license what we do out in Norway. Um, there's projects in Denmark as well. We're working with Ramped uh, in the US to try and see what, what what the charter could offer the US. I think. And I think that the, the what there is is kind of a knowledge gap of what that venue has to offer a disabled person, whether they're performing, working, any, any or audience member, anything. And I think that's the issue. Whereas if you could easily find the information to hand, and I think it's the venues and the festivals' responsibility to put that information out publicly, and then people could make an informed choice. But some, I, I don't want people to feel limited i want them to feel empowered that they can travel internationally and it's really hard at the moment because look you've got you've got brexit and the barriers around that with touring then you've got the covid impact where nearly all of the entertainment and leisure industries collapsed as alongside hospitality very very difficult and then on top of that for a disabled person you've got the barriers as well and i think the more that we all work together and jointly internationally you know that the, hopefully the message you'll come through is you can perform here you can work here you can do this but attitudes everything can't do that on their own we have to work with other partners and venue networks and other organizations such as arts access australia or you know um yeah it, it it's always interesting when we work internationally as well you know, yeah. I think that's really important. You're saying uh, you're saying about the problems that we've had, and now we've got a heat wave where the tarmac is melting. So uh, let let's talk about let's talk about COVID. Another great thing to talk about here. Um, I know, of course, the the pandemic happened. The numbers are unfortunately growing again. We talked about public space opening, and I know there's always mixed emotions around the, this type of conversation. So. When it comes to the disabled community, how did how did you feel personally about things opening up again? So I had a unique experience in, during the pandemic because at, just before it hit, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So wow. let's say life was quite interesting for a while. So I got diagnosed. Week later, was got phoned up operation cancelled no new operation date stay in and I've never ever stayed in in my life I mean I started going to gigs when I was 13 I'm now like well I'm now 51 there's a lot of gig going and I was like oh what and and it was just it was just a bizarre a whole bizarre experience then I became too ill to work as you can imagine because I was still waiting for treatment so I watched all of everything that was happening in the pandemic unfold on social media in front of me, not leading attitude is everything or anything, but just watching everything un unfold. So I had a, a very, I had an experience which a lot of people in, in the disabled community had, but I would say that it's, it, the, the, you experience isolation when you're a disabled person anyway and that's why we started attitude is everything is to get people literally like out onto the streets doing stuff 
and then suddenly yeah. we were we were we were all told to stay at home and and i i you know it all the messages that came through were very scary they really were scary and but it was also passed the responsibility on to you so even if you did go out you kind of felt a guilt around it and what should i do what should i not do and that was really really difficult and there was no i was kind of surprised by the by there wasn't a more of a phased reopening i knew things had to reopen you know things were the, the rate was coming down etc cetera, etc cetera. the vaccines were were working for most people um but i was surprised that suddenly everything lifted and it was like freedom day and it's like no for a lot of people this isn't freedom day so um Obviously, I wasn't asked to use everything, but I know my colleagues connected with people online and ran sessions and access hours and training sessions, connecting in. Every time that there was a festival where our volunteers would have, like, volunteered their time out stewarding, we, we had, a like, a party. And, and sometimes I joined and sometimes I wasn't well enough to join. When things reopened, I, I'm not going to lie, I was delighted, but I was nervous. So... The first gig that uh, that I went to was somebody I I know, and the person that came with me knew the venue manager, so I rang the venue and said what I was worried about, and said, "Look, you know, I I am really really nervous. I may pull out on the last minute. I don't know. I don't want to." So they were really great actually I have to be honest they like sat me in a place which was a little bit away from other people and assigned me a security guard so that no one came with me and it was a a seated event anyway it was a master event but of course after a while people get up and dance and say you know that's just natural but as soon about a couple of songs in it was it was like I'd never been away and I thought, no, I need this. I need to do this in my life. I need to yeah. be here at, in these places. This is my enjoyment. I cannot deny myself that anymore. You know, and by that time, like, I, I, I actually had COVID twice, even though I stayed in. I, I had it twice. I had it before the vaccines. They told me you will definitely die if if I um, caught it or be seriously ill. Well, I was really ill, but I wasn't hospitalised, and obviously I didn't die. So I'm like, sometimes you can't judge that. You you just have to let things happen and see what happens. And it was hard, you know. So a year, I had my operation uh, July 2020 in the end. And then a year later, July 2021, I went to my first gig. I didn't go to any festivals because I felt last year because I felt that was too much. Because physically as well, I'm quite affected by the breast cancer. It's it's caused other mobility issues in me. But I, I, I was scared, but I just thought I have to overcome it. And sometimes I am scared. Sometimes I, the, the night before I went to uh, BST in, in British Summertime in Hyde Park, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Should I be doing this? this? Is the right thing to do? And then I was like, no, go out there and do it. And if you feel nervous, just come home. There's no, I don't think there's any, you know, we can, 
you know, and actually to everything, we encourage people, but we definitely understand. And then, of course, there's all the people that still have to shield. And this is the interesting bit, because suddenly there's a lot more people than are just disabled that are in the clinically extremely vulnerable group. So you have people like Ben Watt from Everything But The Girl, who doesn't really disclose that that he has an autoimmunity. Well, he wrote a book about it, but he doesn't always disclose that. And he doesn't really, as far as I can see, identify himself as a disabled person. But suddenly he came onto Twitter and said, so what am I meant to do? Never, never perform again because places opened up. It's a really, really interesting space to be in. And of course, a lot of people as well during the pandemic got more access than they'd ever had before because they had hybrid online. And now that's closing down again. And we try and encourage people to run the two side by side because then you've got a choice. Like if you're someone like me who does feel ill on the night, you can still take part in the event because you can still like watch it. But really, the experience of, of being isolated like that, um, I, I write a, a blog myself, very personal blog. It's very detached from attitude is everything. But it talks about my experience of of being disabled and then receiving a cancer diagnosis. And my first, my first blog was I Hate Lockdown. And that's the title of it. And and once I'd come out of lockdown, I felt that I could express all those emotions because when you're in, when you're in it, I don't think I could have, I could have coped. So I I just to myself, I just pretended that I never had that life. I never worked for attitudes, everything. I never went to gigs. I never played in bands. Nothing, nothing. I just had to focus on getting better. And I the easiest way to deal with it was to pretend that that wasn't my life. And I'd come back to it at some point. But at that point, I couldn't do it. And that for me worked, but other people, you know, get through it another way. But but that's what I did. And quite honestly, you know, for me, obviously, it was one massive big lockdown. But the first lockdown, I, I was probably too ill to actually really notice what was going on. It was like a massive holiday. And at some point, a hospital date would come through. So I realise I've had a very unique experience. But I also think that my resilience around being disabled helped that experience because you know me I, I I'm a bit kind of a bit bolshy you know if someone tells me I can't do something I'm not really gonna find that I'm like yeah I'll wait up for myself and then I'll I'll see how I feel and that's that's how I've got through life as well and you know I have to thank my parents for that because they just said you you know you, you find your own way but, you know, there there are, I can't play down the pandemic. It's very, very serious. It's very serious for a lot of people. I don't know what the answers are, but I know that Attitude is Everything tries to remain kind of all the channels and remain a whole, remain responsive and supportive to people who are shielding right up to people who are not mask wearing and who are disabled, who aren't worried at all and go out all of the time. I think another important thing that we did, and this happened just as I returned to work, first of all, in the pilot test events, people who were in their clinically extremely vulnerable group were not invited to take part in those pilot events. 
So I turned around to the promoter who was running them and said, if you're doing that, you're not testing the event properly. How's it going to be safe? And also, if you want me to work that event, I actually can't because I'm in the higher group. So it's kind of like it's a bit kind of how how people have responded to me has been very interesting because obviously I still say, right, here are my access requirements, here are my COVID safety requirements. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, yes, this is the deal. You know, so I think it's it's interesting. Anyway, the upshot was that the pr- promoter agreed with us and spoke to the government and DCMS. We were in all those meetings as well at DCMS level and got it reversed so that clinically extremely vulnerable people could attend those pilot test events. Because without us, without people in that group, you're not testing properly. Yeah, definitely. I want to just, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting because um, if you don't mind me asking, I just, just wanted to see, are you, are you in remission now for the, the yes, breast cancer? They- yeah, they don't, they don't really call it that anymore because I had to say, well, what do I say to people now? And they said, you, you say to people, you live with a cancer diagnosis. So I'm on a treatment plan for like up to 10 years, but you don't, right. cancer has a mind of its own. So it's gone yeah. at the moment. You're only, every cancer patient knows that really you're only as good as your last scan. My la- All my scans are fine. There's no evidence of disease. It was a primary cancer caught early was delayed obviously but it should be okay but you 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 understand and our family history is is full of cancer in my family and you have to understand that it's a a process and a time that you're living with and much like being disabled is for life and it's just like another thing thank you for asking though you know yeah, you just you just have to check. So uh, it's a uh, it's an interesting statistic now with uh, with cancer, and I, I imagine anyone anyone of our audience listening now has either been affected by it or knows someone that's been affected by it. So um, mm-hmm. incredible story from you, and incredible that you had to uh, go through it um, during that yeah. time. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a question about things being difficult and I don't know you might have answered it already I was going to ask you what was the most difficult aspect of your career see I was thinking about this and and I I don't know how to answer it because the career that I've been lucky enough to have is that I've always worked for organizations that I really really felt passionate about so my but, and I haven't had that. I haven't had that many career changes because I, I'm. I found what I wanted to do, and I'm not that much interested in in anything else. You know, I still do that part time. What I what I work, but it's it's interesting. So I think I don't know. It's it's, it's genuinely hard for me to answer because my first job, um, I'd never met so many out and proud disabled people before so it was like a revolution and it was great every day there was something to to really you know bond with other people about my second job arts line the same and and I managed to be get into a position where I did their promotions and wrote access guides and it was really really interesting and you really learn a lot about venues and festivals doing that and then obviously 
attitudes, I think, began as a, a kind of a project of, of Artsline until until we grew too big for them to, to kind of house it. And then every everything that I've been a trustee for, I've always believed in, in what those organisations were trying to do. So my local disability organisation was a trustee there for a number of years. Then I'm a trustee of Creative United, non-exec director, and they're a CIC company uh, that that supports small creative businesses and making instruments for uh, disabled people, disabled children, so that you can go into class and you can play with your whole class, and that's a big part of the of the national music plan. So everything connects back to to what I'm passionate about. I especially now with the kind of ups and downs of the life I've had and the recent diagnosis. I, I if something's making me unhappy, and I know I'm in a quite a privileged position probably to say that, but with age and everything and with life experience, you sort of think, well, I'm not going to do stuff that doesn't make me happy anymore because you realise that life is too short. And and I think that that's, that's, that's true. I mean, you know, I could have maybe at some point gone to work for an organisation or a music industry body or something that was that was outside of of working in kind of disability arts or music sector or cultural sector, but I, I wasn't sure how I'd be met and how my access requirements would be met. And 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 to be honest, I I, I tell you the truth, you'd spend so much energy already trying to do that in your in in many situations and you know it I don't know if I could have coped with it or 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 done that and and, you know it would have been distracting from I think I'm trying to say it would be distracting from the job that I was trying to do that does does that make any sense at all it yeah it would have been because you're half thinking about uh, I need to explain this Thing to this person who's not say well it doesn't have any experience or or I need to get this sorted about because I, I can't go in an office like that or do you, do you know what I mean and what you really want to do is you you arrive somewhere you have all the adjustments that you need and you're enabled to get on with the job that you're employed to do and I I, I just didn't want that other experience yeah I think then I guess there was no no difficult aspect of your career but if we were going to say a highlight of your career your career is the highlight of your career <laughs> it is it yeah I think the fact I think that really I I just think and it's a team effort and believe me all the people that have been on the attitude everything staff team that have been on the board that are currently there now all the volunteers that we have, all the artists we come into contact with, all the disabled employees that are sharing their experience and mentoring other people that are disabled coming into the industry. You know, there's a whole massive team of people that are really passionate and really drive things forward. I, I'm just the person that, that that set it up, but other than that, I just let it run. And I think that we've got, we work with really, really talented people you know, and they have lived experience of disability, many of them, and they totally understand what the deal is. 
many people that are that are part of us are artists themselves and creators themselves which is you know so as as well as 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 kind of supporting other people they know what they need themselves to to have their careers and i think that's that's really really important and i i still think like everybody said oh it's just a one year pilot that's all the money is for and 22 years later to still have it going is 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 an achievement because in my mind it it wasn't just going to be about audiences and it wasn't just going to be about one year it was always going to be running for as long as 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 people needed us so i think there's that and and i got to say that the other highlight of course is i'm a massive cure fan and it was meeting robert smith at reading and and getting him to sign the charter and having a a chat with him about many many things which i i won't repeat and that, and if you if you could point to that highlight of the career i, I i've loved the cure since i was about 14 15 I've been to so many Cure gigs. I'm always there. And I did meet him once very briefly when he got lost at a festival. And I met him backstage twenty when I was about 21 and gave him some directions. And he told me that he really liked my, my friend's band, who were Curved. That was, really, that was really great. And then he wandered off somewhere. Um, but to meet him again properly and to explain to him you know about what we do and how we do it and he is genuinely interested in what we do and and that that was you know a highlight of of my career you know and and I think that probably leads into allyship really doesn't it and how important allyship is yeah I was going to say how can we become better at, at, at that that is that is something that a lot of people listening would be wondering um someone who's not disabled what what can what can what can they do well so what we've done before we uh, between 2016 and 18 we we had a campaign called music without barriers and we asked a whole range of artists whether they're disabled or not to provide a statement about why access is so important and i think that brought us to the the public attention but i think now um, I read a very interesting book in lockdown because I wanted to find out more about this. And it's a great book. And I believe the lady's name is Sophie Williams. And she wrote um, a guide, a, small, it's a very small guide called How to Be an Anti-Racist Ally. And within it, it's it's got things around it's it's not enough just to say that you discriminate. You have to kind of say, you know, to to say, oh, oh, that was discriminatory. You have to actively call it out. So that's the one thing. And ask questions and say, well, why is that not accessible? Why isn't that not inclusive? What's happening here? But the most important thing that you do is that you hand the mic. I don't know any other metaphor of saying it. You hand the mic to a disabled person. Or you say, look, if you want more information about how to do this, you contact this organisation or these person. Or if you want to, you know, if 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 you want to know how disabled performers really feel or how employees really feel, for God's sake, hand them the mic. Don't talk over them or speak over them or assume or guess. Hand them the mic. 
And I think that that's really, really important. But I think it's important that people say things and ask questions. So, you know, there are bands that, that won't play in accessible venues. Same as Russell Brand was the first person really to do this. He won't play in accessible comedy clubs. And he said that about 25 years ago. But you've got other bands that actively look for accessible venues and who, who say, oh, I don't think my my audiences should be treated that way. And yeah. and, I, and I think that, that, that that's really, really important. But I think when it comes to, like, speaking on issues and giving advice, then you really need to hand the mic over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we're talking about the uh, venues that are inaccessible or... We mentioned before about certain kind of festivals as well. Now, there's a story from this year's Wireless Festival. It was the accessibility issue at Wireless Festival. It was heartbreaking to hear about. For those of you who don't know, um, and I won't mention names just in case they don't want to be, but uh, uh, there was an individual, a wheelchair user. They were unable, well, first of all, the ramp didn't have enough grip on when they tried to go up a bit uh the actual stage that they they were able to sit on the accessibility stage was so far away from the main stage that uh, it's it's not enjoyable for them for the show and secondly when they went over to another stage there was a massive tree in the way um so again they weren't able to enjoy the show like anybody else now two questions really susan is is this surprising to you and and what can we learn from it so I was shocked and angry at the way disabled fans were treated at wireless. I mean, this shouldn't be happening 20 years plus after Attitude is Everything was set up. And this is why venues and festivals and stewarding organisations, because I understand there was an issue with stewards and inappropriate ways of talking to disabled people, need to work with us. And when they do, fully implement our recommendations and really really do it thoroughly and properly we're collecting feedback to present to the wireless organizers and so i'm encouraging fans who were at wireless if they haven't done before now is to get in touch with us and that email address is jacob at attitudeiseverything.org.uk. We did not work that event. We did not work on wireless. And if you did, how would something like that have been resolved? It wouldn't happen because we'd be in the pre-planning meetings. Uh, We'd have an overview of the site plan. We would have chained the stewards. Uh, we would have briefed the whole event team. It's just not happening. It's a story that I'm hopefully, if you don't mind, uh, that we can potentially come back to in the future. If you're, if you're happy to come back on, maybe there's a resolve there. Maybe there's something that you guys have done there um, to just kind of just to speak about because I want to follow that story. I want more eyes on that story. And um, now if it was a community festival, it's still not, it's still not on really. But this is one of the UK's biggest festivals. And that's what didn't make sense to me. I 
think the whole the whole thing didn't really make sense because there's so much information on how to do it out there anyway whether we were going to support them to do it or they got the local community disabled community themselves to support them how to do it so i just don't understand mm. it, it it's it's it, it's tricky and and maybe if i think about things that are difficult in my career but are difficult for the whole team is when people assume that we've worked on an event because now people probably think because we're everywhere we work on every single event and so we're called out and our reputation gets brought into it and that is difficult that that is can be really really difficult to manage and that's why we just say that's why you know i said when venues and festivals and stewarded organizations do work with us you've got to implement what we say because there's the lived experience of our whole team and you know, I've told you how long I've been going to venues and festivals for then you've got the lived experience of the mystery shoppers who direct what we do and then you've got performers and employees coming forward now and it's just like it was almost like 22 years didn't happen. And i tell you what was really bad about it as well was that I was in treatment. Every six months I get a bigger bit of treatment. So I'm sitting there again in the hospital watching the whole thing unfold in front of me and not being able to support the team. So quite honestly, that was a really hard one. That was hard. Yeah, I bet. Let's let's jump on to something more positive. So I got I, I want to ask two more questions from you, um, and then of course we will try and bear this heat together as a nation. I uh, I believe it's going to be another hot night. So uh, um, I it's just <laughs> it's just one of those kind of days where I'm just feeling a little bit not emotional about something like this because you do you, you do get to feel angry, uh, but it's good to know that. Um, that you guys are there fighting the good fight. Some, some, one of my final questions for you is, um, what does the future of the music industry look like to you then? I know it's something that you're excited to talk about. So let me, let me know. Yeah. So they've had a shock. I think the whole industry's had a shock because basically it collapsed really most of it during lockdown. And that was also like very, very difficult to see because people and colleagues and organisations that you worked for for years, all being on furlough or made redundant, all the partnership working that we've done. So in a way, we're almost starting again. But it is a chance to press reset. And as I said earlier in the podcast, I think some people took that opportunity when they had cultural recovery money to do that and to get training and to get an access audit or get some access consultancy in or get us to look at HR policies, etc. So I think that that's um, really, really important. I think with also the Black Lives Matter movement was, was very, very important in terms of making the industry look at itself and push things forward and do something to take action, to be that, um, to have that introspection. And I think that that also alongside it, 
ran a um an a, a group online of disabled activists called we shall not be removed and they ran alongside it and also kind of like pushed things forward for disabled people but obviously for a lot of disabled people like myself I couldn't go on demos and stuff like that I just couldn't do it because of the isolation factor so I think now what's happening is it's a chance for people to press reset to really understand what their music is music industry is like the fact it doesn't reflect a whole load of diversities and communities that actually buy music and this is a chance for it to, to do it. But it also has to has to stop treating it like this is this is like this time special hashtag, special period. We're doing this in this period and we're looking at the yeah, you know, because it, diversity is like everyone and not not everyone is one diversity. So as well as being disabled, I'm a woman as well. You know, so it's like <laughs> one of my board members also has a diverse background and she's like, he's like, which hat am I meant to put on today? And that's the frustration with it. When the music industry first said, oh, we're going to address uh, race and gender issues. And I'm like, well, you need to put disability in there because disabled people fall into those backgrounds too. Oh, we can't do everything. And it's like, look, diversity is all people and everyone. And you have to treat it like a set of diverse backgrounds that mix together. And there are different communities of disabled people that have different needs and different requirements and want to go to different venues. You know, it's, it's so it's interesting. They're at a tipping point here where they can really, really make a difference. And I think what we do with the programmes that we do is is put people, get people to the fore, so real talented people are on stage that are disabled. Then we, for our program, we push loads of talented disabled people in the industry. And then what's that's encouraged is disabled people who already work in the industry but wasn't sure whether to say anything, but now because also neurodiversity is a big topic of discussion and, and mental health is as well, which is absolutely great then that pushes people to say, actually, I need to tell you this about myself. But then there's other people who don't want to be visible and who don't want to say things, and I completely respect that as well. And if they need to get the come to us to talk things over or get the reasonable adjustments that they need or how to talk to their employer, then that's I'm equally as supportive of that. But I am excited because I do think there's a groundswell of people that are saying, no, this is not how it is and we need to change it like this. And that's what makes me excited about the music industry. But I can understand that for some of the people that have been there a while, it's quite scary. Yeah, it's been brilliant hearing about all the work you've, you've done and everything you've achieved. So I'm going to... I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you right now. I want you to tell us uh, where we can find you online, how we can get in contact with uh, with you and the organisation. Let us know a little bit more information of what we can do there. So, okay, um, the best way to find us is through the website. And it's 
attitudeiseverything.org.uk. And on our website, it's just being redeveloped at the moment. But when it's done, there'll be different sections that you can click on and it'll all be accessible and inclusive that you can click on that will take you to, to where you want to where where you want to be and what you're interested in in terms of attitude is everything. So I think that that's important is there's also going to be a venue section and a festival section for people that want to join the charter. Um, so I think that, that that's, yeah, I think that's probably the best way of finding us. Um, we're mostly still remote working, so it's probably better to email at the moment and then a colleague will will pick that up. Yeah, we are. I was going to say that there there are some occasions where we're on site running information tents. So we're actually on site in the accessible campsite at Latitude. And we're planning to be on site at Reading and Leeds in the accessible campsites as well. So there is a point of reference there. And we are also part of the stewarding teams at those festivals that 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 are at the um that run the viewing platforms and viewing areas you know there might be one or two two uh disabled volunteers there as well so that's that's our kind of on-site presence for for the year but we are also like gearing up um as well like the industry was we've had to regroup gear up too so yeah in person <laughs> well if you're at either of those events definitely uh try and find someone if you want to know more information face to face susan you've been absolutely incredible thank you so much for coming on the podcast today um my last question for you then um it's a question i ask everyone what advice would you give to your younger self and specifically with you i want to speak to the the 13 year old going to her first show what advice would you give her? Just do it. Don't think about it too much. Just do it. Me, especially these days, I just put one wheel in front of the other and keep going. Head down. It's all going to be fine. Just do it. You've really got nothing to lose. Love it. And that, that I think I haven't changed very much. I, I honestly... From being 13 to now, I can't even say if I've matured that much really either, sadly. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm still, I'm still convinced that I'm mostly the same. I might have a more confidence and not be so nervous about some situations. But mostly the things that I like doing and the things that I believe in are passionate about, they're, they're all the same. They're all the same things. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. I just love, I just love the enthusiasm and the drive and, <laughs> and everything that comes with you. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.